His fear was wetted to such a fine edge that he could actually feel it now, a disembodied ball of baby fingers inside his stomach, tickling him from the inside. That's what mortal terror felt like, he realized. Tiny fingers tickling you from the inside. Nick Cutter, The Troop. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Do you have what it takes to be a survivor? Could you outlast your friends, or would you perish in the night? Today we are taking on a classic in the genre, survival horror. So we hope you packed bottled water and some rations, because we've got a lot to discuss in this episode of Books in the Freezer. So we thought we should start by defining survival horror because I feel like our definition might be slightly different than someone else's and I could see a listener saying to us after the episode, well, isn't every single horror book about survival? So what would your definition be? Well, most uses of the word survival horror are usually meant for video games. And the first time the term was used was for the Japanese release of the game Resident Evil in 1995. And I would say it's usually a term to describe a protagonist in an uncooperative environment where they start to lose more and more control as the story slash game goes on. When we were talking survival horror, I, of course, did what everyone else did and started Googling it. And of course, all the video game references came up. My husband got super excited because he's like, oh, are we going to play a horror video game together? And I'm like, no, it's research for the podcast. I think for books, there tends to be more of a different definition for that. And there tends to be more people involved than just one character versus an environment. I'd agree with that. A couple things I thought of is, for the most part, I feel like it's often a group of people, often they're friends, but not necessarily. I don't typically see survival horror done with families, and I think there's a reason for that. But they're often put into a situation where they essentially need to outlast each other. Typically, the majority of the group dies. Spoilers, it's horror. I think you should expect that often leaving only a single survivor, which is often known as that final girl, whether it's a girl or not. Yeah, I would say in a lot of these cases, it's not. So don't start banking on that when you read these. And also, there's often aspects of realistic survival, like we talked about surviving an environment, so extreme heat or extreme cold and realistic stuff like surviving in the wilderness, coming across a shortage of food or water. And that scarcity breeding to discontentment in groups and leading to an eventual breakdown of relationships. My favorite thing. I think everyone can tell why we like this so much. So, of course, there's going to be some, you know, differences between one book or another. Not every book is going to ding all of those different characteristics from our checklist. But it gives you an idea of the type of books we're talking about. Because I could see some smart guy online sending us a message saying, well, aren't you always trying to survive, you know, the vampire or the zombie? But for this episode, we're talking about books that fit our definition. We'll definitely have to do a whole different episode about zombie survival because there are so many books out there that we have enough content. We can talk about that another day for sure. Yeah, that's like its own category. Honestly, when you type in survival horror, that's what comes up because it's usually a post-apocalyptic setting. And usually just the nature of the story is 
survival and like the world has ended but that's just like we mentioned a totally different type of story yeah we don't have five hours today (laughs) not today so stephanie you had a really great idea for a new segment for the podcast so we're gonna try this out people let us know what you think if it's something you like we'll do it again but you came up with a bit of a list of signs that you were in a survival horror story i thought this was a lot of fun so what's the first sign that you are actually in a survival horror story I would say sign number one is you're with your group of friends and they're trying to convince you to do something that's outside your comfort zone, like camping or spelunking. And someone uses any variation of the phrase, what's the worst that could happen? Yes. Don't go. That's just like a big red flag. If someone's like, come on, what's going to happen? Don't do it. Second, if you go and things start going wrong and you and your friends find yourself in a situation where you're trapped Physically cut off, unable to communicate, like your phones are dead. Possibly a situation where you could be referred to as sitting ducks. Also, bonus points if you're in the wilderness of some kind. Like you're just trapped on an island and your phones are dead. Phones always die in these books. It's one of my pet peeves. (laughs) I can't stand it. It's like, bring your phone charger. I mean, I guess you're in the wilderness. Maybe they wanted you to do a technology cleanse. Maybe that's why your friends dragged you on this outside of your comfort zone. Oh, pretty much. It sounds like my friends in real life, they're always like, let's go camping. I'm like, or we could not. (laughs) Yeah, neither of us heard too much into wilderness survival. Not at all. Not my thing. Number three sign is you start to doubt the motives of the people you once considered your friends. Yes. Like, why is Josh telling everyone what to do? Who put Josh in charge? Why does he think he can just call the shots around here? If you start thinking thoughts like that. Exactly. What was your last one? I say if you find yourself in a situation where you have to perform any primal form of surgery on one of your friends, like example, amputating a leg, cauterizing a wound, digging a bug out from deep in their skin, etc. I would say you're in a survival horror story. Yes, I love that one. It reminds me of my father-in-law. He always watches surgery videos on YouTube. And afterwards, he's like, oh, I, I could I could do surgery on myself. I could do surgery on you if I had to. I'm like, please, please don't. I'm, I'm, take me to the hospital. <laughs> so I'm a little bit terrified because my father-in-law, he loves this stuff. I tried to come up with a few myself. And I thought of when you go into a dangerous situation without preparing at all. And yeah. this is... Such a big pet peeve when you know you're going into a dangerous situation or at least like going camping and they're like, I'll just bring my like one little snack for the afternoon. You know, it's not like we're going to be trapped here forever. I don't know. It's just like pack and then pack some more. Just be overprepared because exactly. you never know when you're going to be in a survival horror story. Yes. And then once you're actually in that dangerous situation, I feel like there's always someone in the group who has that bright idea of saying, hey, we should all split up and go in different directions. You know what? Someone is not coming back. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, these people obviously do not watch horror movies. Do not split up. Don't do that. I think so. So I'd love to know if any of our listeners can think of anything else to add to this list. I'm sure they could come up with some really creative ideas. Oh, I'm sure. We have great listeners. So we mentioned that this is one of our favorite genres, Rachel. What are some of your favorite things about this genre? For me, it's the realistic horror is probably my number one. And that would be the fact that you're putting people in these real situations that people have actually faced in real life. Uh, What comes to mind is that 1990s film Alive that's based off of a true life 
plane crash in the Andes where some of the people died and they were running out of food and they had to make some horrible, horrible choices. I think most people are familiar with that story. But I like the fact that survival horror really draws off of real life. It adds a lot of authenticity and is really good for people who don't necessarily buy into the supernatural aspects of horror, which I know I have friends for sure that don't necessarily like it when there's zombies that pop up, but, you know, starving to death or having to do primal surgery are, you know, things that actually happen in real life. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Personally, I do love the realistic aspect of it. And this is a good starting point for, like you said, people that like the idea of horror, but maybe aren't big on the supernatural aspects of it. Some of these do have just some crazy stuff that you do have to suspend your disbelief. But... I love it. Also, the stakes are so high. Like anyone can go at any time. It creates a lot of good tension. I find that survival horror tends to read a lot like a thriller. They're really fast paced. They're really intense. Anyone who finds some horror stories a little bit slower, these are ones that I recommend to anyone who's ever had that complaint. Oh, and I might have lied. My favorite part of the genre is body horror. I lied. I love body horror. I mean, love is a strange word, but (laughs) you're used to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, there has to be a bit of body horror. I feel like someone has to witness a brutal death before they wake up to the realization that they are in a crappy and inescapable situation. Yes. Also, you know I have to mention it. The Lord of the Flies-esque good old-fashioned breakdown of the group dynamic. Yes. Sowing distrust. I love seeing what happens to relationships in different situations and with extreme stressors like this and what they do to what the characters thought were steady and stable relationships on solid foundations, but what even the most extreme stressors can do to them and what just the need for survival can do to a person. That makes a lot of sense. I could see it where people really show their true colors in these intense situations. Someone could be like, I'm your best friend. I would do anything for you. But when you get in these terrible, terrible places, often it's like, well, I'm not going to do that for you. Well, I'm not dying for your sake. And it really does show how deep those friendships go or don't go. And I think that's why we don't necessarily see as much of these stories with families, just because you tend to have the idea of like a mother would lay down her life for her child. But It's harder to make those really tough, terrible choices when you don't necessarily have those blood ties. You know, good old biology isn't kicking in saying, I must let the next generation survive. Survival of the fittest starts kicking in. Exactly. It happens. I would like to think I would be one of those people who would go above those primal instincts, but it's a real thing and we see it in real life situations. So I think survival horror in fiction is really reflective of a lot of the things that happen in real life. So it's terrible, but very entertaining to read about at the same time. Oh, for sure. It delves into the most primitive desire to survive. And because neither of us are really big wilderness people, this may not be something that's personally our favorite about the genre, but I think for a lot of people that really love stories about going back to the basics and are just fascinated by that will really appreciate survival horror. Like I know my father-in-law, he will sit and watch YouTube videos of people out in Russia who build fires with their bare hands and live in a homemade shelter for a week. He loves that stuff. Oh, yeah. My dad's the same way. My dad was an army ranger, so he was in, like, special forces military. So I think he really tried to get me wilderness prepared. 
Oh, what happened? Obviously, it just did not work. It did not kick in. Well, that actually works pretty well because I got the impression that you aren't really much of a big camper. You kind of mentioned it before. So I thought it'd be fun to compile a couple questions to quiz you about your survival skills and kind of figure out whether or not you would have what it takes to be a final girl in one of these stories. But because you have your father, you might actually have some luck of knowing the answers to these. I wouldn't count that too high. (laughs) We'll see how this goes. So I went to the expert source, which means that I googled it and found wildernesssurvivalskills.com, which identified eight basic survival skills. And I picked out a couple of questions for you. First off, do you know how to identify which plants are good to eat? No. (laughs) Okay. Apparently, you place a small piece of the plant against your lip, and then you wait a while, and then you try your tongue, and then finally you put it in your whole mouth, and... If all of that seems okay and you're not having some kind of reaction, you eat it and you're probably okay, but it might still be poison and you might still die. So I don't know how helpful this website was. Okay, so everything might kill you still. Exactly, but you might be able to weed out a few things that might kill you immediately. So if you were lost in the forest, you wake up, you have no idea where you are, how would you determine your direction when you're trying to get back to civilization? Oh my gosh. (laughs) My dad would kill me for not knowing this too. (laughs) I would say like figure out what time of day it is and like find the sun and then you know that's east or west and then work and find north and work your way from that. But that seems a little complicated. Do you know which direction the sun sets or rises? Rises in the east, sets in the west. All right. There's hope for us yet. Was I right? That was part of it, yeah. Okay. I knew something. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'll just pick one more. Do you know how to start a fire? You mean I don't have like flint with me? Yeah, maybe I should start by saying without a barbecue lighter, do you know how to start a fire? Without my big like long necked lighter. That's how I start fires. Finding like dry brush, I don't know, rubbing two like dry sticks together till you get a spark and blowing on it. Yeah, that sounds about right. I didn't actually Google the answer on that one. (laughs) I just wanted to know. You just wanted me to say something crazy. Oh, pretty much. Okay. That's just what I've gleaned from like Lost. I assume everything we watch on there is, yeah. is accurate. Absolutely. ABC did their research and I'm, I'm counting on that. Okay, so do you think I would survive then? No. No? Okay. One and a half out of three. Can you shoot a gun? What if we gave you a gun? Yeah, I've been shooting. Okay, good. I have two. So I feel like give us guns and there might be some hope for us. Maybe it'll just be instinctual. Everything will just kick in. Like everything my dad told me will just like make sense in the moment. So maybe it's time we switch gears and talk about some actual book recommendations. Stephanie, do you want to go first this time? Sure. So I'm going to talk about The Ruins by Scott Smith. And I know you've read this too. I have and loved it. So this is about two young American couples who are on vacation in Mexico. And they attempt to help out a fellow tourist who was looking for his missing brother. The absolute worst happens when they make it up to the uncharted ruins where the tourist brother was doing an archaeological dig. Oh man, this book is crazy. The gore level, body horror level is super high. It is very fast paced. I would say there's like no padding in this book. I would say the writing is tight. Mostly everything is essential to the story. And the plot device that is used, I think in less capable hands, would have been a joke. But Scott Smith makes it work. 
Also, I love how he handles the breakdown of the group dynamic. I feel like the people in the story are so relatable. I can't remember all of the character names, but I remember Joff was the med student who was the level-headed one and the one that was being rational and having to make the tough decisions and ration out water and everyone was getting mad at him. So he's trying to be the voice of reason. The others start to question his authority and push back and it becomes frantic. Also, the complete hopelessness of their situation. I was reading it and I was stressed out for them, Rachel. I was like, well, what can you even do? You have no options. You're absolutely trapped. You are so screwed. I don't know what you're going to do. Like, I, I don't know what you're going to do. So because of that, I am putting this book in the freezer. Oh, I agree with all of that. I just thought this book was so much fun. Just such an impossible situation. I love the gore in there. It was just such a fast read because you just needed to know what was going to happen next. And I thought the breakdown of the group of friends was just about perfect. You really get to see how even looking and imagining your own group of friends, you're like, yeah, I would be that one. I would probably be one of the frantic ones if we're honest. Oh, yeah. Especially because the character who was the leader, he was trying to kind of keep a positive outlook. And I get really frustrated when people are positive because I feel like they're denying the truth. And I think I'm one of those characters that's frustrated and is like, you're being ridiculous. We're trapped. I was like, 100%, that's me. (laughs) I'm the person that's like, we're all gonna die. Just say it. And I'd be like, stop being positive. And also the scenes that I remember the most were the medical procedures that had to be done with just what they had on hand. Those scenes have scarred me. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about because they stuck in my head too. I cannot think about that book and not think about those scenes. The body horror was high. I think you might have even been the one to recommend this one to me because you knew it would be right up my alley and you were definitely right. (laughs) It's such a page turner. I think once things get going, I must have just read it all in one sitting because I did not want to put it down. It was awesome. Oh my gosh, yes. So what is your pick? My pick is Snow by Ronald Malfi. This is about Todd Curry, who wants nothing more than to spend Christmas with his son, but his flight gets canceled when a brutal snowstorm blows through Chicago. So together with a group of travelers, Todd decides to rent a Jeep and drive through the storm to get to his son. However, during the drive, they pick up a man wandering around in the snow. He claims to be searching for his lost daughter, but he seems very disoriented and something about him just makes Todd and the other travelers very uneasy. Something is just not quite right about this man. Eventually, they pass through a nearby town, but realize that it's completely deserted. It's filled with abandoned cars and unattended fires. So Todd and the rest of the travelers in the group start to get this horrible feeling that something terrible is coming for them. Now, this book is probably one of my favorite kinds of survival horror because it's all based around, as the title suggests, snow and winter. If anyone is listening to this wondering why I didn't include this one in our Christmas episode, that's because I didn't read it until my Christmas holidays, so I couldn't talk about it then. But even though it is set around Christmas, it's not a straight-up Christmas book. It's more about trying to get to his son to spend Christmas with him, so it's not like you have to wait till next December to read it you could absolutely pick it up but what's so great about it is the snow the cold I've cannot seem to go an episode without mentioning that I live in Canada and I appreciate cold because it gets incredibly cold here like think minus 40 Fahrenheit oh wow 
Over Christmas, it was so darn cold. So this was the perfect book to read. I don't know if you read the article that showed up on Reddit, but in the Calgary Zoo, they actually had to send the penguins indoors because it was too cold for them this winter. Oh, I think I did see that. (laughs) That gives you an idea. Anyway, I could just go on a whole side rant. I'll try to stay focused here. But I really connect with survival horror that's tied to the cold because in my opinion, that is very real. People die here in Canada because of hypothermia. You cannot go out on the highway in winter without a charged cell phone and a survival plan. It just is how it is here. And all that being said is this just felt incredibly authentic. And in our earlier part of the episode, we talked about how people aren't always prepared, but I like that this book actually had the characters preparing before venturing into the snow. So they were at the airport and actually took the time to first off rent an SUV with four wheel drive. There was some talk about renting a car and they realized, no, if you're going into a snowstorm, you need something with better driving capabilities. And then they also bought extra winter clothing, extra food, bottled water, etc. It is a horror story, so you know things still don't go as planned, but at least they tried. So I will give props to a book that recognizes that not all people are stupid when it comes to the cold. But they still went out in a snowstorm, so maybe they are kind of dumb. I appreciate when characters do think ahead and they don't just blindly go out into a situation and they do prepare as much as they can too. Exactly. So in terms of rating, I would put this one at room temperature. I didn't think it was the scariest survival story, just the way it was written. But definitely, again, if you connect to stories about cold weather, this will be one you'll really appreciate. And that was Snow by Ronald Malfi. So... My next pick is Battle Royale by Koshun Takami. And in this book, a Japanese high school class is on a field trip. But when there's sleeping gas released on the bus, the students wake up on a remote island. They have been provided with weapons and forced to kill each other until one person is left standing. Oh man, this book. First of all, the person that we're introduced to as the face of the government program that is forcing them to do this is so menacing and completely sets the tone for just how hopeless their situation is. Because when he is spelling out, like, this is what you're going to do, of course, everyone's like, oh, no, like, I'm not going to do that. And like, bam, he just shoots someone like point blank in the class. (laughs) So everyone is like, what in the world is going on? And he's like, don't worry, we got permission from your parents. And they're like, what? And then he says, like, oh, well, if your parents didn't give us permission, then we killed them. So, like, don't worry. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then he starts saying, like, oh, well, if you're thinking of doing this, this parameter is in place to keep you from doing that. Also, if you're thinking you're going to do this, this parameter is in place to keep you from doing that. So there's just a complete hopelessness to their situation. And it's obviously to force them to kill each other until there's one person left standing. And the real terror is, like I mentioned, at first, everyone seems like they're 100% not on board with this situation. And they're trying to think of a way not to be a part of it. But you just never know who's lulling you into a sense of ease so that they can kill you and increase their chance of survival. There are so many things I love about this book. There is a super high body count. But that is because there's a ton of characters. So when you open the book, it has the class list, which is 23 boys and 23 girls. 
So there's 46 characters to keep track of. Wow. So even though there is 46 characters, I think I was mostly able to keep track of everyone. The author did a pretty good job of like assigning even just little traits to people like this person has a crush on this person and this person is like the popular girl and this person is this. And like that was enough for me to be like, okay, okay, yeah, I know who that is. So of course the distrust is real. Alliances begin to waver. It gets a little cartoony at times, like people get cornered and they start giving these like villainous monologues before they like chop someone's head off with a machete. Like it gets a little cartoony and crazy at times. It's pretty fun and very fast paced. It's because it's a big book. Like when I picked this up at the library, when I had it on hold and I picked it up and you know that feeling when you get a book and you're like, oh, I did not think it would be this big. Yes, I've definitely done that. So I started it and I blazed right through it because it is so fast paced but it was really good so I would put this book in the fridge that sounds like so much fun I've watched the movie but I haven't read the book yet but I, I really want to you watch the movie I haven't seen the movie yet oh it's crazy I mean it's it's just so so gory and ridiculous I think it was on Netflix before so maybe see if it's still there no it was and then I read the book and I got so excited to watch the movie and then I went to Netflix and it was all it was gone Oh, I hate when they do that. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, I just got the book. (laughs) That's so frustrating. The premise definitely sounds a lot like The Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. Which one came out first? This one. That's what I thought. This one was completed in 1996, published in 1999, and The Hunger Games was published in 2008. They do have similar premises. I would say the themes are different and the kind of stuff that they lean on is different. Obviously, The Hunger Games is not a horror story. Usually when tributes die, you know, you just get that canon sound in the background. And if they're not, you know, directly related to Katniss, you don't see them die. Whereas in Battle Royale, it's an omniscient third person. So you see every death, (laughs) like every death is shown. There is no off-screen deaths, really. That'll be a lot of fun. I love Japanese culture and all that and a lot of their media so I feel like it's one I'm really gonna love I just need to check it out for myself oh I think you won so what's your next one my next one is The Ritual by Adam Neville this is a story about four university friends who go on a hiking trip to the Scandinavian wilderness of the Arctic Circle they start out injured and tired and are forced to take a shortcut that turns their hike into a nightmare lost hungry and surrounded by forests they stumble into an isolated old house inside they find the remains of some old rituals and pagan sacrifices and some unidentifiable bones. And they realize that this is a place where a dark ritual has awoken something. And now the four friends must struggle to survive the horror that they have found in this forest. Now, this is a little bit of a different book for me to recommend because I'll admit it's actually not a personal favorite of mine, but I thought it was a really good example of survival horror and there was some good things to talk about it. So I wanted to pick it up anyway. And this is my first time reading Adam Neville. He's quite a popular horror author, so I'd love to know from other readers if they'd have recommendations what I should pick up from him next. While I didn't completely love this one, I know tons of people who have given it five stars. And so I want to talk about it a little bit. This is a book that is incredibly fast-paced. The story starts with action from pretty much the first page, and it does not stop. If you, again, are someone who wants a more intense, horror story that is going to read like a thriller. This is a perfect one. The chapters are short. You will just fly through it. What was personally missing for me was something that 
I didn't realize was so important to survival stories until I noticed when it was missing. And that's a fact that I do like the establishment of the group dynamics before the horror starts. In the previous book I mentioned, you have some banter between the characters before they get in the car and drive. You get a chance to get to know them, figure out their different personalities. But this one's a little bit different. It First off, it starts just right into the action. And because the characters start from the very first page already tired and injured, they are already really frustrated with each other. They went on this hiking trip supposedly as friends but they are pretty much no longer friends when the book starts they are already super annoyed with each other they regret going and you don't really get to see the friendship before it breaks down it's already just broken down and that was something i was kind of missing it's interesting because i've always said i'm all for the action i don't really care about all the setup but when you miss that in a book you start to notice how important it is because that really allows me to get attached to characters. I want to worry about them. I want to be like, no, no, don't kill off that one. I like that one. And this book, I was kind of fed up with them from the start. But at the same time, like I said, it's really fast paced. There is some good horrific moments in it. There's some good graphic scenes. I liked what they did with the house they found. This is a book that it's hard to talk about the later part of it because it goes to different places that aren't in the synopsis. But I think if you want a really good fast-paced story, this is definitely one to pick up. I can see how that would be frustrating that you don't get to see the relationships break down. You're already coming in as it's already happening and you're just supposed to buy that these people were once friends and that they had these great relationships before all this went down. Exactly. And I am such a plot-driven reader. So it's weird for me to say that I need to be invested in the characters, but I guess I actually do because that's really what creates that good tension. So in terms of rating, I would put this one in the fridge because there is some really good dark and gruesome moments in it. But of course, when it comes to scariness, I always say that your immersion or connection to a book is probably the ultimate thing that is going to affect your rating because I wasn't particularly immersed in it. I didn't find it super scary, but in terms of the content that's in there, if you are really sucked into the story, it's definitely fridge worthy. And it was recently made into a movie. I've heard great things about the movie adaptation, so I might still check it out. I think it could be a lot of fun. I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, I was just listening to the podcast Nightmare on Film Street, and they did their top books of the year list. And this was on there for both of them. So I really trust their opinions. So that's definitely one I need to check out. What's up next for you? I am going to go with Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, which I think technically falls more into the sci-fi camp than the horror camp, but it does have a horror light eeriness throughout, and it does fit pretty nicely in our survival horror package, so... I'm counting it, guys. So the synopsis is that Area X is a part of the United States. It's been cut off from the rest of the continent for decades since nature reclaimed it. The first expedition that goes there returns with reports of a pristine, Edenic landscape. The members of the second expedition all commit suicide. The third expedition dies in a hail of gunfire as its members turn on one another. The members of the 11th expedition return as shadows of their former selves, and within months of their return, all die of an aggressive cancer. Now, there's a 12th expedition, and this time they try four women. An anthropologist, a psychologist, a surveyor, and our narrator, the biologist. And their task is to record observations on the terrain without being affected slash infected by the area itself. When they arrive expecting the unexpected and Area X delivers, they discover a massive topographic anomaly and life forms that surpass understanding. 
But it's the surprises that came across the border with them, with the secret expedition members are keeping from one another that change everything. Dun, dun, dun. I was just going to say, I want to end all of these by going, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm going to drive our listeners nuts. Oh, man. So I really enjoyed this book. Like I mentioned, this is a lot more science fiction than it is horror. But there is a slight eeriness throughout. And there's characteristics of it that remind me a little bit of some haunted house novels that we talked about where the characters get changed by the house and you don't know if you can trust them anymore because we don't know if the house has affected them. And that's the case with Area X too. As the relationships start to break down, you don't know who has been affected by Area X. And, you know, every other expedition basically was affected by Area X in some horrible way. So it's just so great. I do like the group dynamic. I like that we're in the first person narration style. So we're, you know, strictly in the biologist's head. We're, you know, in her point of view and it doesn't switch. And I like that because you don't know what people are hiding and who's lying. You don't get that bird's eye view where you get other people's background and what they're bringing and what they know. You only know what the biologist knows, which I really enjoyed. I will say... Compared to the other books, this one is a lot slower. I would not say this is like a fast-paced read at all. It's very small. It's under 200 pages, but it's not like a very fast-paced crazy read. But I really enjoyed it. That being said, since the horror is very underlying and kind of an undertone of the whole story, I would put this at room temperature. And I'm really excited to see the movie adaptation that's coming out. Me too. I have to decide if I'm going to get to reading it before then because the trailer looks amazing. I know we talked about it before. So can I talk about my last book, which is probably my personal favorite book that I'm recommending for this episode? Please do. I know you're really excited about this one too. And that is The Troop by Nick Cutter, which I definitely read off of your recommendation. You knew I love it and you were absolutely right. I think we're both big fans of Nick Cutter's work. So this story is about a scoutmaster, Tim Riggs, who every year leads a troop of boys to the Canadian wilderness for a three-day camping trip. But when an unexpected intruder stumbles upon their campsite, Tim and the boys are exposed to something far more frightening than any tale of terror. This man is shockingly thin, disturbingly pale, and voraciously hungry, a human carrier of a bioengineered nightmare. In order to survive, the troop must fight against the elements, the infected, and one another. So for me, this is the quintessential example of survival horror. It basically meets everything that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. I, of course, love that it's set in the Canadian wilderness. And because it's about a group of Boy Scouts, it really goes back to those elements of survival horror. The fact is that I think the group of boys should have at least those basic level of preparedness, but we're obviously still terribly unprepared by what was going to happen. The book takes time to develop the characters of each of the boys that really kind of meet different archetypes. There's the popular boy, the nerdy boy, the loner boy, and I really felt like I had an idea of each of them throughout the story. It's very, very reminiscent of that Lord of the Flies style, the group of people turning on each other. I just know that he made a lot of nods to that source material, and I just loved basically everything about this one. So unlike other survival stories, these boys aren't necessarily friends, but they are definitely grouped together as this troop and are forced to work together. And this is going to sound ridiculous, Stephanie, but one of the things I identified most about this story 
was the fact that I really identified with that bioengineered human that showed up that was voraciously hungry because that's actually something I meant to bring up earlier, but I love hunger in survival stories because I am one of those people who has a really weird relationship with food that I panic if I don't think I have enough food when we're going somewhere. When we pack for a trip, if we're going for a day, I pack enough food to last me for, I don't know, a week. I'm a stress packer when it comes to food. (laughs) But I'm so paranoid that we'll somehow get stuck there and I won't have food to eat and then I'll get hungry. And when I get hungry, I also get hangry. Oh, I'm the same way. Are you the same? I just stress. Like when you pack for trips, like you pack extra. I don't think I had enough to pack extra, but I just kind of complain if there isn't enough and I get real hangry. Hangry is real. Oh, but I know what you mean. Just the way he describes the hunger in this book was so real. There was such an intensity to it. Like, that's that insatiable hunger. Like, I was getting stressed reading it. And that I connected with so much. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, just somebody feed him. Oh my gosh. And I think that this book is just a great example of body horror and gross out horror. It failed my Rachel test of can I eat a sandwich while reading it. (laughs) That's always a good sign for me of going, okay, this is gross enough that I have to stop eating. And I originally put this one in the fridge for rating, but I'm actually wondering, should we freezer this book? I think we should, just because I know this is a book I can only recommend to people who know what they're in for and that have a strong stomach. I agree. Like, I remember my stomach just turning, reading sections of it. Just having such a visceral reaction to the book is always a good sign that it's really connecting with some part of my brain. So I'm amending that. I am putting this book in the freezer. I think this is your first freezer book, isn't it? I think so. I put a short story in the freezer, but I think full length novel, this is my first one. I don't know. Maybe I have a very small freezer. I'm so hesitant to make that commitment because I always know there's going to be someone who will read and be like, oh, it wasn't that scary. You put that in the freezer. Yeah, no, I know. You know what? I was grossed out. My stomach was sick. I'm I'm doing it. This one needs to be freezer. Oh, for sure. I will say I don't know if I would be able to handle an adaptation of this. I'd be the same way. I'd be like really excited, but at the same time, like, oh, (laughs) I don't know if I can do it. And not all of the horror came from what the main driver of the story is. Some of it was just the kids to each other. I don't know. It was just crazy. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned it. You're absolutely right. There's a lot of realistic horror of just people being terrible to each other, which is probably one of my favorites, because again, it goes back to that realistic horror that people are actually just terrible. And this book really shows people's true colors. Oh, 100%. Like those are the scenes that I still remember and that haunt me to this day. Ah. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's pretty spoilery. But yeah, so that is The Troop by Nick Cutter, a favorite of both of ours. Absolutely. Now for some non-bookish horror things we're loving at the moment. So again, like Annihilation, not super horror heavy, a little more sci-fi, but I have to say I just started the new season of Black Mirror and I am absolutely loving it. Oh my gosh. It is, I think, one of my favorite shows. Because I think for me, for a book or a show to be a favorite for me, my wheels have to turn while, you know, engaging with the story. So it has to make me think but it also has to make me feel all the feelings. That to me is like a five star, like perfect thing for me. And Black Mirror is that. It is 
a lot like the twilight zone did you ever watch the twilight zone i didn't but i'm definitely familiar with it i loved the twilight zone i did not know that because that's yeah a little more sci-fi than i would expect from you I guess it is. Maybe when I think of sci-fi, I'm thinking too much of like space opera, like crazy stuff. Because I do like, I guess, low level sci-fi. I think you like like the speculative parts. Yes, 100%. That's it. Speculative, like magical realism, where it's like something in the real world where like a crazy element is introduced. But Rachel, I think you would love the first episode of this new season because it has a lot of nods to Star Trek. I would love that. I'm such a trekkie and such a nerd that actually sounds right up my alley because i've wanted to watch it you mentioned it in that other episode and i've had it on my list it's, it's dark though like i've heard it's, it's really grim and depressing some are like personally i can't binge watch it like one episode leaves me just with all the feelings and i just have to sit with my feelings for a little bit but i see people on twitter that are like oh next episode i'm like how can you do that so laura little pony and i both suggest that you should skip the first episode of the first season and maybe come back to it after your heart has already been hardened. That's good to know. With the rest of the episode. Is it just that bad? It's really uncomfortable. You need to build up a certain level of tolerance before you watch it. Because if you just watch it, you go into it unprepared, you're going to be like, what? kind of show that Stephanie tell me to watch. What is wrong with that girl? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why am I watching this? So can I just start with the latest season? Because everyone on Twitter is going nuts about it. Or should I start like season one, episode two? I would say you can. People might yell at me. But all the episodes kind of contain Easter eggs of previous episodes. I mean, I think you can watch it first and then maybe go back to it again and see all the little nods from previous episodes or little technologies that are introduced because that's what it's all about right it's like it's all about twisting possible technology in like really creepy ways i think mostly yes and i think what's so scary is that a lot of the stuff is you know within our grasp like within our lifetime i could see this stuff happening is what makes it like more terrifying it's like well we can do that now Yeah, there is something terrifying of, you know, just the possibilities of what we can do already is pretty great and terrifying at the same time. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff with like VR and stuff like that. It's just crazy. Really good. A lot to think about. A lot to talk about. So my pick is a movie that is a couple years old. It came out in 2014, but it's new to me, so I'm recommending it. And that is the movie Creep. This is about a videographer named Aaron who answers a Craigslist to go to a man's cabin and videotape him for a day. The man he's going to see, Joseph, wants to create a video diary for his unborn son because he knows that he is dying of cancer and won't be able to be there when his son grows up. So the initial idea behind it is really sweet and you're like, oh, that's such a nice idea. But when the videographer Aaron gets there, things start to get weird and this sweet project just starts to get stranger and stranger. So as the title suggests, The guy that Aaron is taping Joseph is just really, really creepy. He is just constantly making these little inappropriate comments to Aaron and pointing out how isolated they are in the woods. And he's just making really bad jokes. And you just can't quite tell if he's actually being serious. And watching it, you start to get to the point you're like, get out of there. Oh my gosh, get out. This situation is so uncomfortable. Compared to other horror movies, it's very quiet. It's very slow paced. It's all about that little uncomfortable feeling you get. 
in that social situation when you're with a creep and you're just not quite sure whether it's in your head or if it's actually your brain giving you warning signs to get away because it's told from the perspective of the videographer. He basically has a camera strapped to him. Think of it more of that home movie style. It actually felt like watching something on YouTube, which I do a lot of, so I was quite familiar with the style. I'm not usually a fan of movies in the form of that found footage style but for this I think it worked just really well. It just fit the story and was not distracting in any way. It is just so plain creepy and the situation with this crazy man was absolutely terrifying. If I was there I would just be freaking out and while the original movie came out in 2014, the sequel, Creep 2, just came out this year. And I've heard rave reviews. And that is the movie Creep, which should be available on Netflix. That does sound really good. It's so much fun. It's it's not for everyone, but I loved it. It's definitely one I've like scrolled past a few times. So I'm glad you've given me a good review. So I'm a little more inclined to watch it now. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. We aren't looking to make money, but just reduce our monthly costs so we can afford to keep these episodes coming. And besides our love and gratitude, some of the Patreon rewards include early access to new episodes, bonus content, access to a books in the freezer chat, and even the chance to be our executive producer for a future episode. If you want to support the podcast in other ways, we'd love it if you'd be able to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. Also, be sure to tell your friends that we're that weird horror book podcast you're loving. Remember that Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly show with episodes every other Tuesday. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. So tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at BooksFreezerPod. You can find us on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can shoot us an email at BooksInTheFreezer at gmail.com. And our show notes for this episode and every episode are available at BooksInTheFreezer.wordpress.com. I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or at YouTube at That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange or on YouTube and Instagram at all one word, The Shades of Orange. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. <laughs>